Brian, good to see you. Um, I just wanted to pick up with you, and I suppose, on what you're seeing at the moment in terms of the market. Where do you think we are? Well, everyone's talking about inflation and the impact of rates on values. And that's really been the this sort of pall hanging over this conference. I think the mood is getting a, much more uncertain. Hang, you know, the effects of the war in Ukraine, the effects of the continued supply chain issues, lockdowns in China. Um, it's a really uncertain time for real estate. Uh, out there in the market, uh, you see a little bit of retrading and repricing on, on the margins in some of the lowest yielding sectors. But the most encouraging thing that I'm seeing is, is that all the indications are pointing to the, the fact that inflation is probably peaking now. So central banks are, are you know, a big part of doing a part of that. The issue is that you know the, the, there will be this in, in tightening cycle, or playing out over the next nine months or so, and then we see a kind of stabilization and, and inflation coming back. The question is really fundamentally what that does to growth. In inflationary environments, uh, real estate tends to act as a pretty good inflation hedge. It's not a perfect inflation hedge, and it's uneven by sector, by geography. It works best when landlords have pricing power. Landlords have pricing power in sectors that are um, really supported by secular uh, ch uh, and, and structural change in terms of being supportive of demand, and markets that have uh, just tight conditions going in. And office markets in Europe have, relative to, to some office markets in other parts of the world, tend to be in pretty tight conditions in terms of vacancy rates. So we're incur encouraged that uh, that inflation will be passed through into rents, which is what, what you need to see to support values in this kind of environment. Um, but it'll probably do so really for the, the, the assets that are in the best locations and particularly have the most sustainable credentials in terms of ESG. And is that sustainability ESG side going to be a key driver, I mean, you know, above and beyond all of the, the sort of current crisis, if you like? The bigger picture of decarbonization goes far beyond the office sector, although for some reason when we talk about decarbonization in ESG, we always tend to end up in a discussion about offices. I mean, fundamentally, regulation is, is, is changing. It will, it will become clearer over the next few years. Tenant expectation is changing. We will ha see a pricing of carbon and, and its externalities. So w what it's really driving is the beginning of a very substantial forced re retirement of a large portion of obsolete capital stock in replacement with another. And uh, that'll drive up uh, investment opportunities because anytime you have obsolescence and replacement, uh, that, that creates you know, opportunities to upgrade. The awareness of embodied carbon is really interesting and important because what it does is it reinforces the idea that refurbishment and retrofit is where it's at as opposed to just building brand new green buildings that you expend a ton of carbon to build that maybe they're out you know green a brand new green building out there in a in a, in a greenfield location is not actually a very sustainable building in many ways um, and looking at the sectors Brian a lot of discussion around office and obviously the sectors that have, have uh, I suppose been the most investable in a way over the past two years have been uh, anything around living, um, logistics. What's your sense, I suppose, at, at the moment of where we are, looking at the opportunities especially? You know, do you see opportunities for, for some of the forgotten ones, a bit like retail or hotels? You know, where are you on, I suppose, the, the alternatives versus the current sectors? Yeah, if you asked me that question a few months ago, I would say with an extremely high level of conviction that that gap between the favored and unfavored sectors was healing. 
and so you know, uh, uh, keep very keen on particularly some of the most repriced parts of those markets, re where rents have been rebased. And starting to look at things like shopping centers in, in the UK, markets that had, had seen that. Now, the issue today is that real incomes are under pressure for consumers. You know, that is, I think, is delaying an element of the, of the recovery that you're going to see, that we were expecting to see in retail and shopping centers, and really emphasize the strength continuing to exist in discount and convenience retail. Offices is just that bifurcation story. I, I tend to call it a trifurcation, a trifurcation between the stranded assets, the assets that aren't, don't have the right specifications but can be improved, and, and the best. I think that story is going to continue. Um, office demand has, has, is rebounding. The sort of years of frozen, uh, pent-up demand is beginning. We see a pretty robust return to the office in many European cities, which is better than what you see have seen, for example, in North America. The last five plus years, just to kind of bring it up to a high level, the last five plus years have been a period of dominance of sector selection. Sector selection dominated performance, it dominated all else, and been looking to, to see something else drive performance in the next couple of years, because a lot of that has gotten priced in. We still see really strong core investment opportunities in, in living and, and logistics sectors, but I think the markets are going to be about not just sector selection, but, but country selection, city selection, sub-market selection, asset quality divides and bridging those asset quality divides. And so I think the story is, is getting a lot more complex. How do you see um, areas like data centers, life sciences, those kinds of smaller niche areas? Well, I mean, obviously the structural the thematics are highly supportive of, of life sciences and data centers. The question is really, how do you get access? The investable size of those sectors is uh, smaller in Europe than it is in North America. And there, there, are, there are some owners that, that um, you know, control a large portion of those markets. I think I'm most excited about life sciences, and particularly uh, in London. A lot of people talk about Cambridge. I sometimes joke that life sciences is really successful in places named Cambridge, like Cambridge, Massachusetts, or Cambridge, UK. But the, the, the UK, that sort of triangle of life sciences, London, Cambridge, Oxford, Cambridge and Oxford are super anti-development. The planning system is really tight. There's no available space, and that's going to constrain their growth. Meanwhile, you have places like Canary Wharf that probably aren't the most compelling, dynamic office locations in the long run that are going to get people out of their studies at home to get on the train and get into work and enjoy that vibrant workplace uh, you know, milieu that you have in the West End. Well, that's a very interesting location to become more of a life sciences node uh, for London. Really interested to catch up. Thanks very much for joining us, Brian. Thank you.